So uh, we began over the summer, if you remember with me, we began over the summer uh, a series called Kings. And what we've been doing with this series is what we want to do is we want story by story through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. And this is the bulk of the history that we have of the people of Israel. It, it, it's incredibly important because it not only shows us how God moved through his people for, through time, but it gives us also a backdrop for why Jesus did what he did, why he said what he said, the, the world that existed uh, in Jesus' day. It gives us all kinds of understanding and lessons. It's deep, it's meaningful, it's rich, it's wonderful. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to move into the second part, the second part of this series, so Kings uh, Part 2. And, and it's okay if you uh, don't remember all the things that we talked about um, Go back and read Kings, chapters 1 through 10. That was what we covered. If you want to be prepared this morning, if you find in your Bibles uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, I'm not going to read it verbatim. I'm going to mostly tell the story, but I'll read a few, a few key sections from there. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 11, if you're going to use the Pew Bible like I'm using this morning, it is page 233. 233. Now, <clears throat> I understand that this happened in the summer, and you have long forgotten anything that I had to say in the summer. And so we wanted to kind of do a little video to, to kick things off and give you a little a reminder of where we're at in the story. And so we're going to do that now. entirely accurate the death star no. thank you i did it all myself to be entirely accurate the death star was not used by nahash to uh, to threaten israel <laughs> so our story begins with with saul remember he was the first king of israel and yet and yet he has not set up a capital city he's not set up anything and so we have here kind of, this is a little chunk here of Israel. It's a little bit larger up here and comes down to the south a little bit down here. But this is our area that we're looking at right now. And Nahash the Ammonite has uh, brought his army together and he is beginning to march into the heart of Israel proper to Jabesh Gilead. And that sounds like a Star Wars name, doesn't it? I, like, I, yeah, 
uh, with Jar Jar and stuff. Not him. He was killed long ago. <clears throat> okay, so, um, so this is what's happening. And you can see kind of the tactical advantage. If you're, if you're an Ammonite and you're going to move into the very heart, so you're taking over not only sort of the center of the board, which gives you ability to, to move throughout more freely throughout, but it gives you access to the Jordan River, which allows you to move up and down throughout Israel. It also puts you in an area where there's lots of crops um, and, and uh, food and water sources for you to supply your military. So this is a move by Nahash the Ammonite, not just simply to, take over a city or conquer an area. But this has got larger designs on him taking over all of the territory of the Israelites as he expands the territory of the Ammonites. Now, I don't know what you have in your mind when you think of what Jabesh Gilead would have looked like, but it's probably wrong. There's a couple of handful, maybe two handfuls of stone, stone huts made of stone and mortar and some flat top roofs. I mean, this is not a booming metropolis. This is a city with a couple hundred people in the surrounding area, maybe a little bit more where they would have been doing farming and pastoral. So they're, they're farmers, they're keeping sheep and flocks. And I don't know a ton about war, but farmers against trained military people, not a great match, Right? Not only that, but as we move a little bit into the chapter, uh, into the next few chapters, we'll see that Israel at this time had no blacksmiths. What do blacksmiths make? Weapons, armor, right? So Israel, not only are they don't they don't have an army, they're not trained for war, but they don't have anybody who can make them the weapons of war. That's a problem, right? And so what we have in this whole situation is a dangerous spot for Israel to be in. The Ammonites are far, far, far more powerful than Israel is at this time. And they are marching on an area that is unprotected and cannot be protected by the people who are there. Now, we have a word for that or a word I would attribute to that, and that word is powerless. Powerless. Completely powerless. Nabash uh, is marching, and Jabesh, Gilead, the people there are, are quaking in their boots. And what do you do when you face a more powerful enemy, and you know you can't beat them? What do you do? Surrender. Yes, you make peace. You, 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 you do something so that they don't come in and burn everything to the ground. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead get together and they send an emissary to Nabesh and they say, Hey, listen, uh, we'll make, a, make, a, make a, a treaty with us and we will serve you. We will be your vassals, your subject. They're just willing to give up the whole territory that God gave them. And just think about that for a moment. All of the, for those of you who are familiar with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, wandering in the wilderness on all the wars in the books of Joshua, they finally got there and they're like, oh, no, forget it. You have it. But uh, Nahash um, is not going to take this lightly. He says in verse 2, uh, on this condition... I will make a treaty with you that I get to gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. And Jabesh Gilead says, well, that's not what we had in mind. We are not a fan of that. That is a bad idea, and I don't want to do it. And so they send their emissary back with this proposal to Nahash, the Ammonite, who's got an army, who is marching on them, 
for whom they cannot resist. And they say, well, how about you just give us a week and see if we can round up an army to fight you. And Nahash says, cool, let's do that. Which to me is sort of the first miracle of the story. The first thing that we see where God's, we should, we should if we're paying attention, right, see sparks of God's hand at work. Because normally if it's an easy win, what do you take? The easy win, guys. You take the easy win. That's an easy question. If it's an easy win, you take it. And Nahash, and perhaps it is his pride, perhaps he's saying, yeah, why don't you add 100 more farmers of the 50 you got and we'll see how well you do. And perhaps it's his pride, but I see here the sparks of God's divine plan. We see Nahash has a plan not only to create or to see that Israel is powerless, but he wants to make them a disgrace. He wants to shame them. He wants everyone for the rest of time who happens upon this city and sees everybody missing a right eye to laugh at these people, to mock them, to treat them with derision, to put them under the heel of their boot for now and forevermore. And Jabesh Gilead is quite scared. And so they send emissaries throughout this whole region, throughout, throughout the, all of Israel, all of these different, and remember, uh, these are the tribes of Israel, Manasseh, Issachar, Gad, Ephraim, Benjamin, Dan, uh, and then there's more up here and more down here. These are the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're sort of a tribal, they're a loose federation of states, even though Saul is currently the king at Gibeah here. Uh, even though Paul, Saul is cert, uh, currently the king, he hasn't really set anything up, and they haven't unified around him. Remember, again, his enemies resisted his rule. They said, who is this guy? What has he done? Nothing. He hasn't accomplished anything yet, so why should we follow him? And so they send these messengers all throughout this area, this land, and it goes to the city where, where Saul is currently located, to Gibeah. And Gibeah hears this message that the Ammonites have marched upon Jabesh Gilead and that they're threatening to rip the right eye out of everybody and lets everybody shows up to fight them. And they lament, they weep, they mourn. They don't get their sickles and axes and pitchforks and rocks and whatever else farmers have around. They weep and mourn. Because not only does Nahash the Ammonite know that Jabesh Gilead is powerless, and not only does the people, do the people of Jabesh Gilead know they are powerless, but all of the people of Israel know that the entire collection of these people is powerless. They don't have a military to stand on. They don't have weapons to fight with. They are lost. And they mourn. They lament. They weep. And Saul, King Saul comes in from the fields with his oxen, and he says, what's everybody crying about? What did I miss? Ever been like that? The person in the room, and everyone's laughing or crying or something's happening. I missed something big here. What's happening, Saul says. And they tell him the story. And this is an important verse here. Look at verse 6. This is what happens next. They tell Saul the story, and then in verse 6, the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Now, it's okay if you don't remember 
or don't recognize this, this sentence that the Spirit uh, rushed upon them. That, that's all right. There's a book that sits previous to 1 Samuel, a book called Judges. And this book chronicles how God raised up military leaders to rescue his people during the time before the time of the kings. And the Spirit of God would come upon this individual, and they would have like charisma uh, uh, plus ten with like a, a two times attack modifier. And they are now equipped and able to bring an army together and to fight against whatever enemy it is going to, whatever enemy they're going to, to face. And this Spirit of the God falls on Othniel in uh, Judges chapter 3 and falls upon Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and Jephthah in Judges chapter 11 and Samson. It happens three times and that guy still can't get his act together. In chapters 14, 15, and 16 of Judges, the Spirit of God rushes upon them and they're equipped and capable of doing big things. This is what happens to Saul in this. That was like, nailed the timing right there. Just nailed it, Emily. The Spirit of God. (laughs) So... (laughs) It is a serious point I'm about to make. (laughs) It's very often that as God is moving in our lives, it sure doesn't look like God is moving in our lives. I mean, that that is what's happening here all about. Certainly Nahash doesn't think he's doing God's will. Certainly Jabesh Gilead don't feel like God is moving. And certainly all the people who have heard this message that everybody in Jabesh Gilead is about to have their eye ripped out doesn't think that God is moving. And yet, what do we see here? God is moving. God is moving. And what happens here with Saul, so, uh, with the story that we see, is it that Saul gets uh, really angry and is really able to really get people behind him. Does he like throw together an awesome, like, uh, brave heart speech and everybody's like, yeah, let's rush to certain doom? No. In fact, his speech is really kind of lame. The Spirit of God falls upon him, and then he cuts up the uh, yoke with which he had his oxen, and he says, he sends his messengers throughout all of Israel, and he says, tell them this, tell them that whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. In other words, we'll get your, your livestock and we'll chop them up into bits. Now, as a farmer, uh, it is really important, especially before the ages of tractors and turbines, all that kind of thing, right? It was really important that you had oxen. And so this is a grave threat to your livelihood. But I will always take a grave threat to my livelihood versus a grave threat to my life, right? And so every farmer who hears this message should be like, well, that's going to stink, isn't it? Good luck with that. And yet we read this important verse here. Uh, Verse... Uh, the second half of verse 7. But then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. So the Spirit of God is moving in all of this, and the Spirit of God falls upon Saul and, and equips him so that he can, he can muster together these, these armies, and he sends out these messengers, and these messengers deliver the message, and the dread of God, this sense of dread that just hits their stomach, and they're like, we've got to go and do this. And so God empowers all of these people, and he kicks them, and he moves them, and as one man, so it's not a slow trickle of, of farmers with pitchforks and big rocks, 
But a massive move of all of these tribes as one man show up. So it's kind of like you're at the monkey bars and the bully says, oh yeah, you and what army? And you say, give me a week. And he says, cool, I'll see you next Monday at noon at the monkey bars. And you are able to muster every single boy, girl, kindergarten all the way to fifth grade at your back. Monday morning, and that bully says, well, that was a mistake, right? That was a mistake. We have made a big error of judgment. Should have taken the easy win, right? First question, take the easy win. But he didn't, right? Because God's spirit is at work in all of this. God is behind it, and he is moving, and he is shaking, and he is, he is facing all of these enemies and empowering his people to defeat them. Now, I don't, I don't know what you're facing today. Some of you, I know, are facing some really, really difficult times. And I don't know what this new year is going to bring you. Hopefully, it doesn't bring you a Nahash who wants to gouge out your right eye. But there certainly might come a day where it feels like it. Yeah? There's going to come a time where you say these enemies are too great. There's going to come a time where you say, I can't do this, and I don't know what's happening in this, and I don't know why God is, is allowing this to happen to me, and I, I just don't have any answers. Certainly, that's what everyone in this story thought. And yet, because you've got the long eye view, right, because you've got the whole of Scripture, you can see, man, God's hand was on all of it. I truly believe that at one point in your life, at some point, maybe even if it's not until Jesus comes back again, and we receive the resurrection and the kingdom, we will be able to look back and say, man, God's hand was on all of that. I thought it was nothing. I thought it was, I thought it was just plain bad luck or suffering or I made a stupid choice. No, God's hand was on it. Now, I want you to notice something in this story because it, it stood out to me. Trouble has come, and who have they called upon? They called upon Saul. They, they, they sent an emissary out to all of the people of Israel. They sent it to all of these different cities. Come and help us out. Who didn't they call on? <sighs> right? You'd think by now they would have this together, but then again, do we? Right? Here's a good place for me to lay some preacher guilt on, y'all. I'm not going to do that. Uh, because I know in my life there's been more than a few times where I'm facing something and I think to myself, I need to do something about this and I'll call somebody or I'll do something. But the last thing in my mind is I need to talk to God first. Now, hear me well, because I'm not saying God was going to remove this situation. God had a plan in all of this. In this valley of the shadow of death that, that these people in Jabesh Gilead are walking, we, we're not quite there yet, but we'll see how God had planned the whole thing out so that God could install Saul and make things work the way God wanted so that his plans would be fulfilled. I'm not saying that, that this would have been made life easy for them, but it sure would have given them a sense of peace in the midst of the trial. God doesn't always take our trials away from us, but he can always give us peace in the center of those trials. And so that seems to me to be something important, and how often uh, we forget it. I think of these verses, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will never let anything bad happen to you ever again. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I misread that. That was, uh... so that at the proper time, 
And of course, God's proper time is not necessarily your proper time, but it is God's proper time. And what will God in his proper time do? He will exalt you. And so what should you do knowing this, knowing that God has great plans in store for you? What should you do? Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you enough to know that through this trial will create a better you, a greater you, a greater faith, a greater position, or something that is not related to you at all. Because at this point, at later on in the story, we forget all about Jabesh Gilead. And yet God used them at one moment to bring about his plans and purposes for Saul. Because the truth is, it's not all about you. It's about God and his plans and God in his plans, if you are a believer in him, wants to utilize you to see his plans fulfilled. If we humble ourselves and put ourselves under his mighty hand, casting our anxieties and our cares upon him, he will exalt us because he cares for us. Philippians 4, 5-7. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, even on Facebook. Let the Lord... Because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't it interesting? God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear from you. Even if his plan is to keep you where you're at, even if his plan is to make things harder for you tomorrow, God wants to hear from you because at the proper time, at his timing, and his perfect plan, he will exalt you. And in the midst of all of that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard like an army, like the host of heaven, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news. So I just can't help but hearing these things, imagine what kind of turmoil, like Jabesh Gilead and the people of Jabesh Gilead were going through, and what all of Israel was going through, and what that would have experienced would have been like if they said, you know what, let's go to God. Call Samuel, call the priest, let's get on our knees, let's, let's, let's tear close, let's, let's raise up a prayer to God. What kind of peace could have been theirs had they done that? But I also want to encourage you to call upon the church, to call upon your family and friends. You notice that that's what they do. They fail in the first part to call upon God, but they succeed in the second part. They call upon their brothers and sisters throughout Israel, and they say, come and help us. One of the things I notice about all y'all church people is that you are perfectly willing to help somebody else. You guys, and I, this is, um, we're moving into our third year here. Fourth year here? Fourth year? Is it four or three? Make a sign. I can't. Fourth year here. And, and you guys are amazing. I love you. Seriously, uh, you're generous as a people, but you're stiff-necked about receiving help. We are so willing, because that's a, that's a place of weakness, right? The place of giving is the place of strength. I will absolutely help you anytime. If I need help, 
mums the word. Because we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're so afraid of being vulnerable. Which is kind of silly because we're all pretty vulnerable. We are all in need. And I don't know if your need is financial uh, or or physical or, or spiritual. But keeping it bottled up isn't doing you any good. God has called together a people in Israel, and we see them call upon one another and aid one another. God has built a people in Jesus Christ, you, and he has brought you together by his power and by his spirit, and he has given you one Lord and one baptism, one faith and one spirit, so that you can love one another in brotherly affection. But you can't love one another until you are honest with one another. And you can't be honest with one another until you have a relationship with one another. Plug small church, plug small church, plug small church. Because those are the places where you sit down at a table and you begin to talk. And I get to share a story. A really cool, awesome story that I'm super pumped about. Um, because we have Melissa and her girls, and some of you guys might know Melissa um, and, and her uh, two daughters. We baptized them a little bit ago, and been here for maybe a year-ish. We'll go a year. I'm really bad with dates and babies, as you can see already. Um, and uh, we've had the pleasure of having them just to be a part of our lives or part of our small church, and so we, we just have a relationship with them. And we know that uh, she's had a part-time job for a long time and trying to have other jobs, you know, and so she could get uh, everything together and, and, and take care of herself and her girls and, and have some benefits would be great too, right? Well, we knew this, uh, and, and we've been praying about it at various times, and, and Laura knew it, and she was having a conversation with Christina, uh, who has recently gone back to work because she got rid of all of her children, praise the Lord, and she is now free, and so she has gone back to work. I don't even know if they're here today. Are they here? Oh, they're in Super Church. Okay, so they're busy serving, so I can make fun of them as much as I want. Great. And so the, uh, Christina has gone back to work, and she knew that they were hiring, and, and, and Laura and her are having a conversation. Laura's like, oh, you're hiring. I know, like, the greatest gal in the whole world, and she's personal. Everybody loves her, and you should, you know, talk to some people. And so the, the three of them, you know, did whatever they did, and <laughs> Melissa got a job. Full-time. <laughs> with benefits. Right, Because we had conversations in which we knew the situations where each of us were in. And that is what we are called to be and called to do. I know it's, it's like practical, no-brainer stuff that we just don't do. And we need to do. Because God, in this, in this story, what we see happen is, is we see uh, God... Spirit falls upon Saul, and Saul calls on the, on the people, and the dread of God falls upon the people, and they show up as one man. And God uses his people to deliver his people. Now, he does it, of course, militarily in this story, but God uses it practically the same way today in the church. God will most often use his people, you, to deliver his people, you. And so having those deep and abiding relationships where we share the truth. Yeah, no, today I am not good. Things stink. Where we don't have just quick, like, snippet, easy conversations, but we have difficult, long, tell me about your week and don't skip the dirty bits. Tell me about what you're struggling with and don't pretend like you're not. Right? Where we have those kind of relationships, we call upon God like Israel didn't do in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. And we call upon one another like Israel did do because we need one another. God calls us to that. And finally, 
I want to point out what we see in all of this. So as the story wraps up um, towards the end uh, in verses uh, 10 all the way down through verse 15, Saul calls the people together. They show up as one man. He divides them into, into three camps, and they march on Nahash the Ammonite, and they decimate him with their rocks and their pitchforks. They defeat the army that is more powerful. That's how God does it. In fact, it says that they, 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 give them, they throw them such a beating that as the people are running away, they aren't even in groups of two. They're running off individually because that's how few of them that are left and that's how scared they are to be in a group as Israel chases them out of their land. And that all of this comes to a moment where at verse, uh, verse 12, the people get together and they say, who is it that was complaining about Saul again? Weren't there some guys that didn't want to follow Saul? Let's string them up. And Saul says, easy, guys, because he says something really important here that he's going to forget later, foreshadowing. But for now, he's got, which is this. Uh, For today, in verse 13, for today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. It wasn't by my might. It wasn't by us showing up. It wasn't by our power. It wasn't by our will, but by God's own plan. He has given us this victory. And what does this lead to? This leads to Samuel saying, well, then let's go to Gilgal and renew the covenant, which is down here. Now, Gilgal is a significant place. You see how close it is to the Jordan River. And that down here was where the Israelites were wandering for 40 years. And as they cross the, the Jordan River here, God miraculously splits the waters again, just like he did in the, in the, the Ten Commandments, remember? The whole water splits, they cross the Red Sea. God does it again here. And they reconstitute the covenant that they are going to be a kingdom. They put 12 stones together as a giant monument that's to stand forever to remember that God is the one who has rescued us, brought us together, and saved us. And they go to Gilgal again to remember this and to reestablish the covenant because, again, all of this has to do with who is in control. And it's God. It's God. So they sacrifice and they make peace, and they bring it together. Now this is then what we want to leave you with this morning. I want to call you to call upon God. I don't want to guilt you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to say, listen, I know that times can be really tough and really difficult, and God is there. God wants you to cast your anxieties on him. It doesn't mean, of course, that things are going to be easier. He's going to level the path, but rather that he will be the one to guide you. And so through prayer and through scripture reading and, 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 through, and through worship together and singing songs in your car, whatever it is that, that connects you to God, cast your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you no one cares for you like God cares for you because God is the one who has plans for you and wants to utilize you to bring about his purposes you have a place in his kingdom a purpose in his will that's good news so call upon God when things are dark and call upon one another when things are dark when things are difficult, when, when you don't want to say anything to anyone because you're embarrassed or because you know it's going to put you in a position of weakness, expose your heart in ways that maybe you don't want to do. I want to encourage you, expose away. Bear, bear your burdens 
to other people so that they can bear your burdens. In fact, we read this in Galatians chapter 6, that we are to bear each other's burdens because you aren't alone. You are a part of a people. And when biology turns to dust and flags become footnotes in the annals of history, the church of Christ will go on and on and on. Nothing else is as eternal as the people you sit next to today. So spend your time your energy, your love on those people who you will spend eternity with. And in the midst of all of it, whether you're on the mountain high or whether you're in the valley low, wherever you are, remember that God is in control, that he has his hands in this, that he is moving and working his mighty will. And if you are a believer, if your name is Christian here today, you have a place in that take comfort in it. Let's stand and praise our God as we sing.